Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as my guest, Ali Spots DeLazar. She's an LMFT, LPCC, and CEDSS with a private practice in Studio City of Los Angeles, California. She is the author of Meaningful, 23 Life-Changing Stories of Conquering Dieting, Weight, and Body Image Issues, a book of relatable, diverse mini-memoirs followed by expert commentaries, and she currently blogs for Psychology Today. She's published articles in peer-reviewed journals, trade magazines, and online, and presented workshops at conferences, training facilities, graduate schools, and hospitals. A believer in advocacy work, she has co-chaired committees for the Academy of Eating Disorders and the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals, and run an eating disorders friends and family community support group for over a decade. She's the creator of Shake It for Self-Acceptance, a series of public events that embody the message and educate through inspiration. July 13th, 2017 was recognized as Shake It for Self-Acceptance Day in the city of Los Angeles by Mayor Garcetti. Today, we talk about eating and body image issues and eating disorders and how we can help. Welcome, Allie. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm honored to have on as our guest, Allie Spots DeLazar. Welcome. You said it just right. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, good. I was nervous. <laughs> um, so I know that you are a therapist who specializes in working with eating disorders, and you also have a new book that's out called Meaningful. So I want to talk about all of these things. And I think the first place to start is thinking about how you approach eating disorders, how you approach the diagnosis and treatment. And that's a very big question, but I'll Huge. maybe let you begin <laughs> from there. Thanks. It's interesting because often when someone will come to me, they're aware that they have some sort of eating or body image issues. Our society is so focused on dieting and fitness and and kind of thin bias that often people will come to me believing that they are just dieting and pursuing a a weller life, um, a healthier life when actually they don't realize it, but they've kind of tipped over the edge into an eating disorder or to really problematic um, behaviors. Like too much healthy eating can actually result in malnutrition. So a lot of people who come to me because I have my certified eating disorder specialist, supervisor, all of you know the credential, they'll have an awareness. Often they'll want to work on maybe you know improving their body image issue or something. So I kind of get a little bit of a heads up that that's going on. But interestingly, I used to go around and teach at different facilities and clinics Because a lot of people don't ask about what's your nutrition like? Are you eating? And that can completely jack up a diagnosis because our food, our regularity of keeping our energy and our nutrition coming in can greatly affect our moods, our attitudes. You know, like I just wrote something for psychology today about being hangry. Well, if you're constantly hangry, you may look like a particular diagnosis. And if somebody's not asking, you know, are you eating? Are you purging? You would be shocked at, actually you wouldn't, but I think sometimes people would be shocked at just putting, you know, do you make yourself throw up? Do you take diuretics and laxatives to lose weight mm-hmm. or as weight control? Well, often people will answer honestly on an, on an assessment. 
Right. And they may not even know that some of these things can really harm you long-term. Right. And it kind of brings up this question, like, where is that line of disordered eating versus normal? And maybe that's different for different people. I think you are very, very right. Because if someone's genetically vulnerable to an eating disorder, according to the research, that biological, you know, something in our body has a button and that's, you know, obviously a metaphor, but something turns it on or a combination of things turn it on. And we still don't have great research about what is actually causal. So, you know, each person may have such a different trigger for what actually turns on the eating disorder. And they may just be like trying to get healthier. And so they've gone on this super fitness, super foods type thing. And then a lot of people who get eating disorders suffer from something called anosognosia, anosognosia, I hear it pronounced all different ways, but they really don't know that there's a lack of an awareness that something bad could happen to them, or even that they're suffering from some sort of a condition, or there's that ambivalence of, so, so what my heart beats, you know, super, super slow because my body's starving, you know, taking all the nutrients. So, so I think that that's a piece of it also is There's a lack of awareness in the public because diet culture and diet mentality is so, so strong. It's as if, if you're thin, you're healthy. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I, I publicly outed myself recently in an article because my BMI quote, notice I use the air quotes, BMI says I'm healthy. If I only use that as my marker, which many, many people rely so heavily on it, then you would think I was healthy. I have some labs that are not great. And those are my genetics that drive those. I believe I won't go into justifying why, but, (laughs) but long short is I think that that's so important to realize that health is such a broad category. And for, let's say someone who is overweight and the right now, the words overweight and obese, although they're medical terms, they can be so shaming for people. And that's something, you know, you as a doctor, you have to walk such a tricky line. And I talked to a a lot of doctors about, you know, how do you use medical terms without shaming the clients? Because for someone who may have some weight on them and you might think, oh gosh, they're in this category, which means they're at risk for poor health. Well, they may not be telling you about their history of dieting, They may not be telling you that they actually have anorexia nervosa in a larger body. So -hmm. when a doctor says, oh, you need to lose weight for health, for them, it actually really exacerbates their unhealth. Right. And thinking about the the mere image of that, that someone who is a normal weight, maybe when they go see their physician, they're like, great, you know, no questions asked, but you don't realize that they are malnourished or having disordered eating patterns. And it's just, they say, oh, well, my doctor says I'm healthy and I might as well continue the patterns and habits that I've been engaging in. Exactly. And laboratory results don't show the effects of messing with our food or eliminating things or everybody's bodies are different. Like (laughs) my patients, clients, people, I like to call them people, but they probably get so mad at me when I'm like, oh gosh, your hair's falling out. That's so great. Your body's responding quick. (laughs) You know, because for me, when somebody has something that is so undeniable, And yet the anosognosia may say it's not deniable, except usually when it has to do with vanity, someone is like, oh my gosh, how do I get my hair back? 
bodies are so different in how they respond. So your labs may be perfect the day before somebody has a heart attack and passes. So I want to explore a little bit about this term, Anna's, I can't even say it, anagnosia. Anasignosia and anosignosia. Like I seriously went on YouTube and looked at the leaders in the field to see how they pronounce it. Cause I thought, you know, I didn't know, but it seems to be pronounced in all sorts of ways. So is it this lack of insight? Mm-hmm. Okay. It came from, I believe the origin is, might be from traumatic brain injury term. And it was applied originally with anorexia. Like you'll even see in the DSM, it will say a lack of awareness. It used to say denial denial of symptoms, but that would mean that they were aware. Mm. So again, it's like, before we started talking, you said, you know, why did I write meaningful 23 life-changing stories of conquering dieting, weight, and body image issues? I know that's a mouthful. Part of it was because I think that the way our society is set up and the messaging, I think we want to fit in, we want to be safe. And the messaging from so many industries and media and and various environments will say, well, if you can be thin, you'll be healthy and safe. If you can have maximize your looks, you'll be accepted. If I mean, they, we get these messages and I don't blame anyone for pursuing health, beauty, because underneath it, what are they really going for? Something so human. And then what happens is, They can be pursuing that for years and years and think that their diets are failing them. Think that their health programs are failing them because they keep feeling crappier and crappier. So one of the reasons I wrote the book and and it's got such a kind of quizzical title is because I wanted people to start looking at, okay, no, somebody really committed to finding the right diet is probably not going to want a book that where I say like, hey, give up dieting because you'll find what you're looking for. Well, my question is if people tend to have this lack of um, insight, yeah. how do they end up seeing you? <sighs> sometimes they rock bottom. Sometimes family members push them. Sometimes they just know something's off and they sometimes come to me to try to find the right way to diet, the right way to deal with food, mm-hmm. the right way to deal with body image issues. And, and I'm not saying anosognosia applies to everyone, but when we bump into clinical eating disorders, there really is this nonchalance I notice subjectively in the, in the room of, Meh, so what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if it's really undeniably medically pretty scary. So that's a piece of it. Not everybody has to rock bottom. I think of all the times I've gotten calls and then they don't come for a long time. And much later, a male, a female, somebody gender fluid will call back and just say, gosh, it's not improving. In fact, I like, I'm not happy. I'm just not happy. How did you come up with the title for your book, Meaningful? I'm curious about that. That's funny because I had no idea how to write a book. So I kept throwing it in the trash and paying people to help me pull it out and learn how to write. But the one thing I never, ever wavered on was the title meaningful. The other pieces were search terms that I thought would would be helpful because it is true. It really does give you unconventional solutions and paths toward turning these painful things into meaningful things. And so why it got that title is because the stories I hope are meaningful. They're little mini memoirs. 
I hope the commentaries often with research or activities people can do to explore their own relationships are meaningful. Honestly, my life is so meaningful now. And I just figured there are so many elements of meaningful in here, giving yourself choice, having these stories that you can pick and choose what identifies for you, what you resonate with, what diverse stories you may see yourself in 10 of the stories. And so to me as a clinician, that's so meaningful if it's not preaching at you or giving you a chance to fail and instead just giving you a chance to explore and build the life you want. And I think most of us want a meaningful life, maybe even over a happy life because happy is out of the bell curve. If you're going to be happy, then you're going to drop out of it. But if you're contented or meaningfully driven, then you can kind of maintain that. Right. And this idea that many things make you, it fill you up. And then also probably as an eating disorder specialist, teaching people what it like retraining them to understand those cues of fullness. See, and that's, that's the, but I'm ching, you know, pun in it is so much of this is about a fullness. And for some people, an emptiness feels like a fullness concretely. For some people, a fullness, fullness from binging, you know, so that's, that's a big piece of it. And then the, you know, the turnaround, the thread that keeps this whole book together is that so many pieces of conventional advice actually can go against what you need to support finding your freedom and your meaningful part life. Like, let's say you were emotionally eating. Well, for some people, keeping the foods that you emotionally eat out of your house will work for some people. But for other people, recommending things that pull deprivation may make it even more powerful. So that may make that drive to the store to get everything you're not allowed even more powerful. So each story kind of has a, well, traditionally, this is what you might hear from a doctor or a health book or a friend, but here's some other ways because that may not work and it actually may make things worse. Yeah. I was going to ask, and I'm not, I don't think you can answer this, but out of all of these memoirs, do you have a favorite? You know, I wish I could answer that simply, but here's what happened. I literally had an idea. It's kind of like a chicken soup for the soul meets a clinical book. So when I was doing it, I literally just created a proof of concept. And I kept asking people that in my gut, I had a feeling, had a story. And people did not duplicate struggles. People did not duplicate solutions. It was wild. So if you, you know, do I have a favorite? My favorite is that every one of them is so uniquely different. And literally, I mean, I don't know what I believe in, but I believe that it was really guided by generosity. No one got paid. Everyone was like, if my story can help, then I want it to help. Now I had to anonymize a lot of them and and make sure that the hearts of the story stayed the same, but people trusted me with these. A lot of people said it was shameful and these had been secrets. Mm-hmm. And that working through it really helped them to kind of metabolize it. The entire book, there's three sections. The third section is about how it's connections because we are never alone and we are always seen even when we think no one's noticing. The whole thing, I, it was such a great project. It was so meaningful. <laughs> but seriously, it has filled me with the beautiful hearts and souls in it. Right. And it it also speaks to the complexity of eating disorders and how there are so complex. And like you said, not one looks the same as, as another. 
I would just say to anyone listening, if food or body image is either occupying so much of your thoughts, changing how you feel about yourself or in the way of the life you want, let's say you have to avoid parties because there's going to be food there. If that's not how you want to be living, then you may benefit by finding someone who's a non-diet supportive person. You know, anyone can check the box that they know eating disorders and that is so scary. So ask questions, find someone truly, truly supportive, but it doesn't have to be in our ways. We can choose for it to limit our lives and that's okay to choose. But when you're trapped in it, it can just really suck. And Josephine, if it's okay to ask, like out of all the stuff I've kind of just thrown at you, because I'm so very passionate about this topic, did anything surprise you or maybe not surprise because you're so experienced, but just something that for you resonates either in your heart or your head? Well, as a physician, I've talked to nutritionists who work with intuitive eating. And the one thing as a physician, I have a really hard time putting my mind around is this idea of obesity, being overweight, right? Mm -hmm. Those things I've been trained to approach it as maybe a one size fits all sort of thing. Right. And so I'm still trying as a clinician myself to really kind of understand a different way to look at that. And so when you were talking about kind of obesity, people being overweight, that doesn't necessarily mean health. It's just, I'm thinking about how I was trained and it, it's just, it is true, right? We, we are trained to you look are. at a patient and say, you know, okay, well, this is a, a measurable, you know, data point and yeah. that is weight. And this is what we need, how we need to counsel people about it, but never really these discussions of actually how to counsel effectively either, right? Oh, that is so humble and beautiful. Like, just thank you. There's, there's a blog I wrote a while ago because I remember I was talking to this gorgeous, gorgeous doctor who was like, oh, I struggle with this. And so we just had this really uncovered conversation about, you know, first thing is if someone has weight on them, it's not news. We all know, you know, so to hear that people will stop going to the doctor because they don't want to be shamed because they're going to be told lose weight. They're going to be told you're in the unhealthy category. And so part of, you know, we want to support people and keep them coming. So one thing I think that's really great for doctors to do and medical personnel is look at the history of the BMI. Look at, is it kind of a general thing. Can we share with our clients that somebody who's an elite athlete may actually test out obese per the BMI, but are they unhealthy? You know, it was created for a particular, I think it was Northern European, blah, 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 blah. Does it allow for diversity? Does it allow for muscular structure, bone structure, Mm -hmm. waist circumference, which is from what I understand, a different indicator of health? So it has a lot of points that changes things. Like I say, I outed myself in this one article, which was kind of hard to do publicly, but it meant so much to me to be able to say, you take someone into an office who's got weight on them and great labs, no cholesterol problems, no, what was it? Oh, I think I was having some wacko blood pressure stuff for a little bit. Okay. So there I am with a healthy BMI and those two things dinging me. And then you've got someone obese or overweight 
who's got impeccable labs, plenty of energy, happiness, a good social life, is living life fully. Who's healthier? Yeah. So for doctors, if I could, you know, just really ask all of us, including me and believe, I didn't start this way, by the way. I started straight diet mentality. And honestly, it's the research, it's the people's stories. Some of the people who have had the most severe anorexia behaviors and attitudes have actually been of bigger size. Poor things have been starving for so long that their metabolism is just crud. So they eat very little and their body saves it and builds. Plus genetically, maybe they were, see, that's another thing. Genetically, what is someone's natural? Look at their growth charts. Where are they naturally going to be? So for them to live under what's natural, they're going to have to go under what's appropriate fuel, what gives them appropriate energy and strength and bone strength. So it's just, oh, I so love this topic. Thank you. (laughs) Well, yeah, this idea that kind of subscribing to this like idea of BMI as our only measure really does people a disservice. There's a video from the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. Oh, I might have messed up that name. It's called Poodle Science on YouTube. And I am in love with this video. And the reason I am is because it makes it so clear. So you've got this like little perky white poodle who's all, you know, I'm the right size. I'm the right size. But then a chihuahua is told that the chihuahua has to fit a poodle's weight range. And then a Great Dane is told that they have to fit a poodle's weight range. And it makes quite a point. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing this with me. And I admitted to you, I haven't read the book yet and I need to read the book because after this discussion, I'm like, I got to read this book because I really want to be able to recommend it to my patients. I think it would be really helpful for them to hear some of these stories. Um, Thank you. And it's a really gentle understand- gentle, gentle walk into this world. Because again, nobody's going to like with you right now, just talking about how weight may not indicate someone's health. It's like mind blowing, isn't it? Yeah. But I'm excited that this book is out there. I'm excited that it's a resource before we leave and say goodbye today. Any last words for the listener? I think I said it earlier, which is if you are haunted by any food or body image stuff, There is hope, there is help, there is support. I mean, doctors like Josephine McNary here, did I say your last name right? Did I? Oh, good. (laughs) We never do last names. (laughs) So, you know, just knowing that there are people out there who really have your best interest at heart. And probably the most important thing is when anyone is shopping for someone to support them mentally, physically, You have a say, especially on the mental health side, interview them. You are not stuck. If it's not a fit, if you might not eventually trust them, please move on until you find someone that you do. Right. It matters. It does. Well, thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. I hope the listener finds this discussion helpful. I'm sure they will. And thanks for being on today. Thank you very, very much for having me. I know it took a while for us to get here and I'm just, I'm, I feel really fortunate. Thanks. Right. Take care. Bye. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com 
and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.